tune in right now. You know what it is. We got main over here. Cards and clay over here. It's the Fire and Ice Podcast. Let's go. Waking up and getting ready for work. I got my phone set ready to hear the alerts. We got main on the mic. Partner with cards and clay. See, they talk about the things people scared to say. Yeah, it's fire. And it's ice. Yeah, it's fire. Aight, aight, aight. Fire and Ice, another episode of Fire and Ice. I'm your host, Maine, with the cool, Cotton with the fire. He is not here today, so I'm going to take over. Um, Today is a special day. It's Veterans Day. So I want to say, first and foremost, uh, happy Veterans Day to all vets and all veteran spouses. Uh, that's very important. Um, today's episode is going to be one I did uh, this weekend with a 26-year veteran in the Army named Mr. Wayman. I'm going to put a clip of it uh, in this I'm going to put it in this podcast, so it's going to be like 45 minutes, 50 minutes, something like that. But it's very, very, very uh, interesting and very, uh, this is just a good story overall. Um, anybody that's in the military, when you say uh, Happy Veterans Day, please, 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 this is coming from a 26-year vet, also say Happy Veterans Day to the spouses. Um, they play a very, very, very key and important part in the family, uh, keeping it together when they're on tours or uh, deployment. Um, so definitely want to give a shout out to them. They uh, stick there through thick and thin with the with the men when they come back and they're not the same. Um, and they hold it down. You know what I'm saying? They hold it down. So definitely shout out to the women. Shout out to the men. Um, all our uh, women vets, all the men vets, um, all the women military, all the men military. Uh, I want to shout out all y'all. Um, anybody that has uh, a veteran in their family, Please call them, check on them, make sure you're doing well. Uh, tell them, give you a story. You know what I'm saying? Just make them feel important. They're a very, very important bunch. Um, so, without further ado, I want to jump into this interview with Mr. Wayman. Um, please, please hope you enjoy it. Me and Carlton will be back next week. I want to say once again, shout out to all veterans um, and all veteran spouses. Fire nice. Ice. You joined the army 1990. First ten years is everything is kind of peachy, just mm-hmm. regular army stuff. Mm-hmm. What, would you, what, what did you do? What was your job there? Like, cause you have a job, right? Right, right. My first job was a uh, what they call a seventy four Delta. I was a chemical specialist. Okay, pretty nice when it was cool weather. And what it is, it's a chemical specialist. You wear the protective mask. You wear a charcoal suit, line suit. It's it's it's. Protecting a soldier from a chemical or nuclear biological chemical attack. What were you mixing with the chemicals? Like oh, no, no. It's not, it's, not, it's not a mixture. Okay, okay. It's a posture that you take. All soldiers, when it, when it's a nuclear attack or when it's a biological or chemical attack, all soldiers are told or prepared to defend themselves and protect themselves. So you have a protective hood a chemical mask that you put on, mm-hmm. okay? And it's supposed to protect you from any type of biological element that you breathe into, okay? And then you have a suit that you put on. And back at that time, it was a, it was a, it was a uh, cotton suit. It had a charcoal liner in it, a black liner, okay? You had to put that on. And you had these boots to put on. You had gloves, rubber gloves to put on everything. And that's not bad if All you're doing day? it. Oh, it depended on mission. Not bad if you're doing it in February, Okay. June is kind of June, July, August, and you walk around that stuff for two and three and four hours, mm-hmm. long as the mission lasts. Okay. And where were you? Where, where was you stationed at this time? Matter of fact, I was stationed at Fort Stewart. 
I've seen Savannah. Before, look, Savannah. Okay. Hinesville. Okay, okay. Um, I kind of like that at first, but then after you stay in a chemical suit for four, five, six hours, you said, look, show me the door out. I got to get out of this. <laughs> I cannot do this. Okay. And then if you, you find if you're claustrophobic, a chemical mass fits right up against your face. Okay. And you breathe, it's restricted breathing. It's like taking these masks that we're all wearing, mm-hmm. just multiply, multiply that by 50. I don't like the one I have to wear. Okay. So. A chemical mask is fits all of your face, your eye. Vision is restricted. Um, you have a canister on the side. And back then, they didn't have that type of mask. What do you call an M17 mask? You had to actually take your mask off, hold your breath, take the mask off, and change the filters. Okay? Oh, nah, crazy. And what they did, they trained you. They trained you with a real chemical agent at one time. Mm. Okay? They changed that and start using the, uh, the, uh, the tear gas. Okay? So what they do... They would have you put on your mask, clear it and seal it, okay, and walk into a gas chamber, all right? You couldn't smell the gas because if you cleared and sealed your mask properly, the gas didn't didn't, didn't affect you. Mm. And then the drill instructor or the instructor would say, okay, unmask. And they'd have a mask on inside the chemical chamber. Unmask. So every day you're just getting missions, like... Even, well, even though you're on base, it's just a mission today? Right. It depended on the unit. You were assigned to a unit. So if that unit said, look, we're going to do NBC training um, Monday and Tuesday. And, and this is all just in case. Right. Right. In case. And they found that out with, with, the, with the Desert Storm, Desert Shield. I think Saddam Hussein said, I'm going to be, what was it called? The mother of all wars. He was going to use, and he actually used chemical warfare on his own people. Mm. Okay. So... With that being said, the Americans were prepared for him to use that on us. On us. Got right. You, got you. So they took that training seriously. How serious did you take it? I took it At pretty seriously. Okay, okay. I took it pretty seriously. Did you, before, and I know you, you ended up having to do some tours of, of, you know, of war and stuff, but during the 90s and you in there, you like, all right, we good. Like, I'm just going to yeah. ride it out. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my Camaro <laughs> and go home. No, my Mustang. I'm going to get my Mustang <laughs> and go home. Okay? Brooke, did you ever get a Mustang? I never got that Mustang. <laughs> I never got that Mustang. You got to get one, huh? I got to get one. He got five cars. I don't know how many he got, but he got a lot. Um, <laughs> but Wayman wait, is good, trust me. <laughs> he drove the pretty one today, but he got, he got some other ones. Um, so, all right. I can tell you, for me, right, mm-hmm. um, it's a certain day. I go to school, gotcha. right? Um, it's in the morning. School's at like 8 o'clock in New York, mm-hmm. 8.30. So we in school. Um, out of nowhere, you can feel a tension in, in, in the school. You know, kids are leaving, mm-hmm. calling to the office. I don't know. I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. It's like five people in the classroom. They finally call my name. I say, okay, cool. I'm going downstairs. But the teachers, all their face look very, like, everybody's concerned. My mom picked me up. Okay. I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Just, they ain't saying nothing, da da da. She tell me <laughs> the Twin Towers fell. Okay. I said, what? Gotcha. Now, real backstory mom worked at the Twin, she worked there. Okay. At the World Trade Center, 63rd floor to be exact. Um, didn't have to work that day. Oh, thank God. All right. Um, so, yeah, it was it was like just knowing people that worked there and seeing on the new, it was it was scary for me. I'm not going right. to lie. Um, but then, I had nightmares for a long time that. Mm-hmm. The Afghans was gonna get me because I know mm-hmm. we called them Afghan at the time. I don't know, but I, mm-hmm. I, I was scared. I know that. I called my my dad called me that day. I was like, "Yeah, he gonna join the military." He never did though. He just got. He's a funny guy, but he said he was. I'm like, "Dang, he gonna die." I already know it, you know, because okay. he he not ready for that type of stuff. And 
he never went, but just that the scenery of that time, you know what I'm saying? It was, right. and then you, know, you could smell the smoke mm-hmm. for like a, like almost two months mm-hmm. after it happened. You could still smell it in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. All right, um, but that's kind of when you you had to go to the right. war, right? Right. We were we were already prepping in 2000. I think what in 2001, right? When, yeah. when the war, yeah, the, the 9/11, war started, 9/11. 9/11. So. A lot of active duty units started prepping then. So by that time, I had already transitioned out of the chemical core. Right. And I got into logistics. Okay. So equipment that you had ordered, let's say, a year ago. And they, they, what they do, they prioritize units and equipment. Okay. You know, if a unit, let's say you're a high priority unit, mm-hmm. like, you know, the 82nd Airborne or the 2nd Ranger Battalion. You know, these guys are ready. They, the 82nd Airborne would be within anywhere in the world within 48 to 72 hours. Mm. Okay? That's pretty, that's pretty doggone that's good. good yeah. That's real good. Okay? They will be there. Equipment, everything. They will be there. So they're a high-priority unit. If they order, let's say, chemical masks or chemical filters, they're what they call a priority one or A. They get their equipment right away. Some units are further down the priority list. Okay, so our units started getting equipment in. You see rail cars coming in with <laughs> M1, A1 tanks and stuff. You say, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, they're just not giving us because they're not giving us all this equipment because we're good guys. They're giving it to us because we're going to use it. You're about to go somewhere. We're about to go somewhere. So all of the uniforms, all of the equipment that you order was on back order, all just started coming in. So you knew right then and there that something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you started prepping then. They started getting all of your paperwork together, all of your, your, your will, last will and testament, all of your insurance, your SGLI. They started getting all that stuff prepped and together. Signatures that's needed. Um... Guardians for your children, mm-hmm. what they call a family care plan, mm-hmm. that get all that just in place. Just in case you don't make it back. Just in case, or either you don't make it back or you're gone for a year. Gotcha. Okay, so you can't have a seven year old sitting at the house eating cornflakes for a year. You have to have someone of adult supervision that can be their caretaker. Right. So you had to go through the legalities of getting that person put in place to do that. Okay. Yeah. So when you saw that happening, all the administrative stuff happening, everything, the equipment coming in, well, you knew what was about to happen. You were getting ready to get deployed. How did you feel when you seen that? Because like, you didn't know at first, but you kind of made we, the assumption. We pretty much knew it. Okay. We pretty much knew it. Um, if you're in a division, okay, and the division is huge. You know, you have an armor section, tanks, all that type. You have an aviation section. You have an infantry section. Then you have the combat support sections, the cooks, the the, um, the mechanics. All those people, it all ties into one piece because all these people have to support the mainline people. You know, if you have a tank rolling down the road, you got to have the fuel. You have to have the mechanics. You have to have the ammunition. Mm-hmm. You have to have the means to support that. So when the tanks go, you're not far behind. You're going <laughs> with them. So at what point did they tell you, hey, you got to go? And where did you go? We left. We left Fort Stewart. We went to Kuwait. They flew us into Kuwait. And let me tell you, it was a 12, no, it was longer than that. 14, 15-hour flight. 
it was a long flight. And all the time you were there, you were just antsy. You were just nervous. You didn't know what to expect. And you boarded the plane with your weapon, with your, your, your M16 or M4 and your sidearm, your 9 millimeter mm-hmm. pistol. So you knew what was about to happen. But when your plane was finally getting there, you'd make a couple of stops and everything to refuel and everything. But when you finally flew into Kuwait City, you could hear the, the, the attendant saying, we're not entering you know, Kuwaiti airspace. You knew you were getting ready to land. But when they finally landed in the area, let me tell you, they opened the door to the plane. And the air conditioner, the plane is air conditioned, right? So when they opened that door, let me tell you, it's like opening your oven. It's how hot it was out It's, oh. Uh, you ever bake the cake and you open the oven, that heat yeah, hits you in the face? Yeah, it was like that. And you got all this equipment on. And you and I thought to myself, I said, man, they're going to call this a war. It's too hot to fight a war. <laughs> it's too hot. It can't, it, can't, it can't be real. It can't be real. But How long did you stay there? Oh, goodness. The first time was a year. The second time was about 12, no, it was about 13 months. So the first time you went, you, you went in Kuwait. Right. Well, actually, we we landed in Kuwait. Kuwait uh-huh. is where you stage everything. Okay. You actually okay. land there. You start getting your missions. You start getting your op orders. Everything there in Kuwait. Then you motorcade. We motorcaded into Iraq. It was an eight-hour ride from Kuwait City into Iraq, southern Iraq. Now, now that that part, the motorcade. Oh. Right? Now, is, is that scary as well? That I, was. I see very a lot of movies scary. when they driving and they get bombed while they driving. Very scary. Or they get. Bombarded while they driving, like like they get set up or something like that. So yep. what was that like? Eight hour drive, like, very scary, nervous. I think I think I had the white knuckles on that seat all the way there. Mm. Okay, and what I mean, the white knuckles, you're squeezing that area so hard, where your knuckles go, the mm. blood squeezes out of your knuckles. You're so tense um, for eight hours. Yeah, we motorcaded from Kuwait City into southern Iraq, Nazaria. So. All the time you were looking, you were scared, you didn't know what to expect. Okay, so what we did, we went from there, we went to a place called Camp New Jersey. It's out in the middle of the desert. We went there. Okay, and what they did, they went ahead and staged equipment there. We waited until our equipment, because what we had to do, we had to put our equipment on barges, on boats. You can't fly with an M1A1 tank. Okay, okay. so y'all building stuff? Well, actually, we stayed out in tents out in the desert. Okay, we okay. stayed there until we got all of our equipment. All our equipment came into the port. Now, once your equipment's in the port, now you're ready to move into the area that you're going to be assigned to. Okay? So we had to wait on the armor. We had to wait on the aviation units, the helicopters. All that stuff had to be flown over. Mm. Okay? So it was a waiting game there, too. And just the sand. I, you know, you see those things on television about sandstorms and stuff. They're real. They're real. Um, I was walking from a tent, going to the mess tent. It was about maybe a half a mile away. And a sandstorm came up. And I heard a noise behind me. And I looked behind me. There was a Humvee coming up behind me. And had I not looked, I'd have gotten run over by that Humvee. Because the sand was so thick and blowing, they didn't they even see, see me. They didn't even see me. Wow. So I think during the first war, it was more chaos because there was no infrastructure in place. Everything we got, we got there into um, Nazaria. 
we moved from Nazaria and then we went to a place called um, Taji. It's further up north. It's near Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was another seven, eight hour ride. Another nail biter. A knuckle and, and squeezer. These missions that y'all are doing, what, what, what are they? What, 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 what are the purpose of those missions? Well, it, it depends on the unit. If you are, let's say, logistics, you support um, the armor units. Okay, okay. 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 They, sure have, inventory there, they, right make sure, they make sure okay. they have all the equipment. They have their, they have their food. They have their water. They have their uh, clothing. They have everything they need to complete the mission. What, what, what would you say was the, I guess, the most scariest or worst part of the first war that you, the first time you went? Convoys. Convoys. When you had to convoy from, let's say, a distance from Augusta to Waynesboro, that's about 20, 25 miles. It seemed like you were going from here to Atlanta, okay? Um, you were riding down a road, and all of a sudden you hear, an explosion further up the road where some vehicle or some other units hit an IED. Okay. So what's now that? What's that? an I improvised explosive device. Okay. Oh, okay. they drove something and it blew them up. Right. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Damn. So when you hear hear that and you'd hear it on the radios, okay, that you know they've had an IED explosion about two miles up the road. And now you're saying, Oh, we're going that way. My goodness. You mean, let's turn around. Let's go back. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to complete the mission. So you were antsy and nervous about, about that now. Um, when that happened, was it people that you knew, like, that you interacted with and now? Some, yes. Some, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Damn. fortunately, my unit was never hit with an IED. And that was by the grace of God. You know what we should do? And I tell you this here. Before we went on every mission... We would gather all our drivers, all of our people, our commanders and everything, and we'd join together and hold hands and pray. Okay? Now, some people may say that's a coincidence. Oh, y'all were just lucky. No, I don't think so. A unit in front of us got hit by an IED. A unit behind us was hit by um, small arms fire. Okay? But y'all made it through. We didn't get hit. So, I don't, you know, some people call it, you know, a coincidence, call it lucky. I call it the grace of God. Okay. So that was the most nerve-wracking part. When you got there, you completed your mission, you delivered what you need to deliver, and then on the way back, you said, okay, God, you took care of me going. <laughs> Do the same going back. Okay. But when we get back into the fob, into the base camp, and they say, how was your day? I said, I made it back alive. And that's a good day. Mm. That's a good day because a lot of people that got up that that's morning – they didn't, didn't, come, didn't back. come back. Yeah. Did, were you were you in any contact with your family during this time? Like, how do y'all talk to family? You had phone calls. You finally they finally got internet set up, and it was slow. Yeah, I think I've been crazy. home by the time they got the email. <laughs> <laughs> Download. They said, "Yeah, I just got your email." I said, "Look, I'm home. I can tell you in person now. Don't worry about that. Oh, just delete boy. that email." But yeah, we had phone calls, and the thing was, the phone calls had to be secured lines. They had to set up secure lines because you could, and certain things you could not say because the phone calls were monitored. Right, right, okay, right. so if you're saying, "Yeah, man, we're uh, we're in downtown Fallujah, and we got this, uh, we're." Setting up for this ambush, and you, you always assume that someone's listening on all of your your military calls. Right. You always assume that. So, 
You just, just can't say. And when something did happen, let's say that someone was killed on the road, they would cut off all communication. All telephones were cut off. All email was cut off. So you got a phone you and, it, and it cut off. It just cut off. Or you yeah. go to get on the phone that morning and the line's dead. What do you think, Um, just to, I have to ask, what do you think that, how do you think your family feel when something like that happened? You're on the phone and it cut off because you're thinking the worst. He over right. There the, right. So there's death happening. Right. Right. And I mean, that, that's the thing. And that's the thing I avert back to the spouses. You know, when your service member is deployed or when they're downrange doing something, um, you're on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. You don't know, and you haven't heard from them in a week or two weeks. You don't know what's you're going wondering, on. You're wondering, say, wow, what is wrong? What is wrong? And you can't get to them and tell them, well, they cut off the communications. I can't talk. But when you finally get a chance to talk to them, you tell them, you know, hey, look, in case you don't hear from me or something like that, that may be the reason why. Okay. For okay. security reasons. Um, just, not, just to dive off real quick, because I, mm-hmm. I, this is a big part I wanted you to talk about, like, but... After you know you, you you went a few times, so the first one you know was like a a test kind of thing. Yeah, right. kind of getting the feeling, kind of experience, whatever. Um, people, but you still experience death, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you come back home, mm. like how are you with with your wife, your your kid, your family? Like you're a different person at this point, right? You experience so much, right? And and the thing is, you have to adjust fire because there was an instance when I was home, I'd been back here for about maybe a week or two weeks and I was driving 80 miles an hour down the Bobby Jones Expressway 80 miles an hour I mean I had tunnel vision I couldn't see on the side of me only thing I did was look straight ahead of me and you know who pulled me over a Georgia State Trooper he caught me I didn't even see him he pulled me over he said what's 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 the rush I said oh man look I just got home and he looked at me, and he said, hey, slow it down. Slow it down. He didn't give me a ticket or anything. Mm. But the thing was, when we went on convoys in Iraq, you'd be driving in a five-ton truck, a Humvee. And the thing was, you're driving like downtown Augusta, right? Yeah. The civilian population is still there with cars. So what they do, cars would pull in front of you. And you're going 60 miles an hour on a five on a five ton truck or Humvee, and they pull in front of you. Um, it slows the convoy up. So they told us, "Don't stop. Hit Stay them. on their bump. If you have to hit them, hit them. Get them out of the way. Mm. Flash your lights or something to make them get out of the way. Because what they would do is have a terrorist use a car to slow the convoy or cut into the convoy to separate the convoy." Okay, if we can separate two or three of their vehicles, the slower vehicles, we may be able to attack them. Right, right. Okay, so they told us don't stop. If you have to hit them, hit them, move them out of the way. And most of the civilians found that out. They would get on the side, or they would cut in front of you, and then they get off the side real quick. But yeah, uh, very stressful. When I got back, um, I was tense. I was nervous. I couldn't sleep. Of course, it's a different type of eight or nine hour time difference. Right, right. So when you're sleeping, you should be up and vice versa. So I had to adjust, you know, my body. I had to adjust a lot of things. So when I finally got back, I was short tempered. Um, I was angry. That, but you now this is you married you know with kids so how, like did that put a strain on your marriage at all do you feel like it did or kind of was... well yes it did um 
but they kind of prepared the spouses for that. Yeah, they okay. kind of prepared them for it. And what they have, they call they call family uh, um, groups that get with military wives and tell them what to expect when your soldier comes back. Okay, okay. Okay? They may not be themselves. They may not sleep. They may not eat. Did so that they, scare you at all? Like, the fact it, you come back to a smile you, you chose to spend the rest of your life with, and now you're different, so it may... It did. It can possibly change the way they view you now. Yeah. You, you're different, but now you're different to her as well. Right. 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 It did. It did. So, it's just, it's just a thing you have to adjust and it takes time doing mm-hmm. it. And, you know, even some things that I do even today, even tomorrow, you know, um, certain things I expect, um, certain things I'm conditioned to do, okay? And when I see other people not doing that, it kind of irritates me. And well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I know. I know. I know. I know you do. And I didn't want to make that, that, know, that gesture to you, but I've been retired since 2017. And it's still, I'm still adjusting fire mm-hmm. from that. You know, if you say you're going to do this, you need to do that. You do this, you do this. It's a routine. And the military is routine. Right. Not saying that we're robots, we're controlled, we're told to do everything. You have a mind to think, but you have to be a self-starter. You know, um, I I, I definitely need this part in a clip. One of the most interesting things I think when you spoke about and something I never really thought about at all was, uh, I don't know if it was the first one or afterwards, I'm not sure which one this was, but um, you said that uh, a certain a certain place you was at, they would use women as a decoy for something. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain? Can you like yeah. elaborate on that? Like just. Yeah. Well, even when you're on convoys, and they know the ways of the Westerner, they know them. You know, I met a guy over in in in, in Iraq. He was working as a civilian contractor. He was an Iraqi citizen. He had dual citizenship. He was an American citizen and an Iraqi. He knew more about Atlanta than I did. Okay? <laughs> so they know that we as American males are more likely to help females. So what they do, if your convoy stops, let's say we stopped on the side of the road to fuel up, stop to do something, and we get out and we get out on the perimeter, guarding the perimeter, and they have a kid come up, a little girl. And they come up to you and ask for water or ask for food, and they'd be the cutest. They would never get an ugly kid. They'd always get a cute kid. They'd always get a cute kid to ask for water or something to eat. And they, like I said, they know the ways of the Western civilization. We're going to give them something. We're, right. gonna not, we're not going to turn them away. Right. But they use them, and while your attention's averted to that cute little girl kid, they'd have someone else come up on the other side of the vehicle and throw something into your vehicle, throw a hand grenade in the side of your vehicle. Okay? So that's what we had to tell the kids, stay back, stay back. Don't come near. Don't come near. Okay? And once you pointed your weapon at them, they knew. Mm. Okay? They knew you meant business. And most of them did not do that, but you did have instances where kids would come to one side of the vehicle, and everyone's looking on the side of the vehicle, and then someone from the other side would come up and throw something in your vehicle. Mm-hmm. And you hear something fall, and you say, what? And all of a sudden, everyone's dead or mm. injured. So you had to be cognizant of that. You had to be careful everywhere you went. Being out there uh, during this time and during and all the times you were out there, like, mm-hmm. did you ever like think back to like 
Damn, I just all I wanted was a, a Mustang. A Mustang. I didn't yeah, want, I, I thought didn't about it. I, I said, look, y'all just let me go home. I don't. I, I don't go on the Mustang. <laughs> I just go home. Just send me home. <laughs> oh boy. Um. And, and, and also, just you know, being out there and when, when was there a time when you was like, can, can you can you refuse to go at all? Like can you be like, I ain't going. You can, but let's just say. Uh, it wouldn't go good on you. It would not go well. Because what they do, they say, okay, the first thing they do is remind you of your contract. <laughs> you know, you, you signed up for six years of this, right? You, ro- you raised your right hand. I swear to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Okay? Um, if you did not go, well, then if you, let's say if you receive money for college, yeah, I'm going to get my college degree and you know, next year or something, they cut the money off. Mm. Let's say if you'd apply for a home loan, a VA loan for your house. You're homeless now. No, I mean, if you just applied to get oh, the money to buy, well, oh. I'm going to buy me a house when I get back from Iraq using my VA loan. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Ain't going to happen. And what they do, they'd go ahead and see if they could get you discharged. And the thing is about the military, and the thing about a veteran, when a veteran says they're a veteran, you have to serve 180 days of continuous military service, active duty service. Basic training and AIT, you go to your school, does not count towards that. Okay? Mm. Once you graduate from AIT, your advanced individual training, let's say you station at Fort Gordon. That's when the clock starts ticking towards your 180 consecutive days. Okay? Got you. So once you finish that up, and let's say you decide to get out. Say, look, I've done my three years. I decide to get out. They give you what they call a discharge, a DD-214. Okay? DD-214 has a, it has all of your military history on it. The awards you received, the um, tools you served. And it also gives you a type of discharge that you get. Now, if you the, the, the main goal is to get an honorable discharge, okay? And that honorable discharge opens up the doors for other VA benefits. Once you become a civilian like I am now, the doors open for other opportunities with the VA, mm-hmm. okay? If you get a other than honorable discharge, it starts narrowing your chances now. Let's see if you get a dishonorable discharge. Then what? Well, basically, all you did was receive pay stubs, from the military. You're not a veteran at that point. You're, you're a veteran, but it's not like being a veteran. Okay, mm-hmm. it's like if you show someone a DD-214 and they look at the bottom of them and say, you had a dishonorable discharge. It's not worth the paper it's written on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you still get you serve four or five years or whatever you served in the military for nothing but pay stubs. That's you all you get. still get discount did. at stores? Absolutely stuff? not. No, you, oh, wow. no no, you get all benefits taken. Jesus All benefits. Christ. Yeah, that happened to my dad. Yeah. He failed four drug tests and then got caught with yeah. a weapon. On yeah. Base. Yeah. So that's what did you, you know. Did you know his dad? No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he didn't. <laughs> but that's what you want to avoid. You want to avoid a dishonorable discharge. You want to avoid that. So if the person that refuses to go, refuses to go, they can't make you go. Got okay. You. But they will discharge you out of the military. This guy was unserviceable. They won't give you a discharge. It's in your best interest to just do what you signed up for. Do what you need to do. Yes. 
Okay. Do what you need to do and get it over with. The uh, the second the second time you went, right? Mm-hmm. How many times did you go? Twice. Twice. Mm-hmm. Um, the second time. What, what year was this? Oh, that was in 2007, 2008. A lot better. A lot better. The infrastructure was in place. This is like six... It's about three, four years later. That's yeah, right yeah. We had running water. All the, not, not, I hate to say it, but all the dummy testing kind of went through, like right. Seeing how serious it is over there versus mm-hmm. okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So now it's more structured. I think that the, the the threat level was higher because the terrorist got more advanced. Mm-hmm. Okay, they knew where to hit the Americans. Now, the first war they really didn't. Gotcha. But the second time, yeah, we kind of know what they what they expect from them now. Okay. Okay. The second time, you had running water, you had hot showers, you had hot food all the time, you had communications, you had high speed internet. Was it less scary? It was in a way, but then in a way it wasn't because now they could get to you a lot quicker. Now they didn't have to ride outside the gate and throw in bombs and stuff. They could sit two or three miles out and shoot mortars into the camp now. You uh, yeah, never okay. see it coming now. Gotcha. Okay? So the second time was was easier physically because you had air conditioning you could go into. It was still hot, but you at least had a place where you're going and cool off. Right. Okay? But the threat level was there even higher. Mm. Yeah. So this after your second time, was you like, look, I ain't doing this no more. Now. I still didn't get that Mustang. Still know, didn't get I, it. I know, I know. You got a nice little something out there. Oh, yeah, know? I do. It's not a Mustang, but it's you know, not a Mustang. It looked like one a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it drives fast. <laughs> and you got air conditioner, no sandstorm. You know, what absolutely. I'm you made it back home. Absolutely. You know and you know, I, I thank God for it because, um, you know, you see a lot of people coming back. They're missing arms. They're missing legs. They're missing. Um, other parts of the body, uh, they come back just not even know where they are. Mm-hmm. They're, they're what they call the old people's called shell shocked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It affects people differently. Some things that I saw would totally disenfranchise another person if they saw the same thing. Right. Right. So it affects people differently. So the second time you came back, were you? How were you with family then? Like was it? The same? I was. I was better. Because people knew what to expect. Did you try to mask it at all? Because because not wanting them to like go through that. Did you try to like? I did. Okay. I did. Um, I think I knew how to handle it a little better now. They had counseling. The first time they didn't have a lot of stuff in place. Mm. They didn't have it. Because the first time you said family groups, and now it's counseling. That's that's two right. different things. They have counseling, and matter of fact, they have a, what they call a cool off period. You are not allowed to go home for maybe. A month. Okay. Okay. So they, you have a chance to see counselors. You have a time to talk things out with the psychiatrist. You have time to do those things. Now, instead of they saying, well, the war is over. Well, see ya. Go home to your family. Go home to your family and kill them too. You are damaged internally. <laughs> right. Right. So they learned a lesson from the first time they went. They gotcha, learned a lesson. Gotcha. And even afterwards, they start getting better and better and better. But like I said before, the enemy is getting more advanced and they, well, deadlier. Yeah, I, I, I definitely understand. And like I said, you know, in, in talking to you about this, I'm pretty sure even back in the days, it's probably even even some interesting stories as well because there's no advancement at all. Somebody right. that was in Desert Storm, somebody that was in something in the 70s, 80s, 60s, or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. um, those are probably different stories because it's, it's different times of war. Right. But I did feel like, you know, with the ones you was in, 
the opponent also was able to advance as well. Not just America being tougher and stronger. Right. Now you're dealing with people who don't care about living. Right. So they willing to they willing to you know kill itself mm-hmm. to one up the score. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Of whatever what they of what we going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess being in because obviously before you go into military before you go uh, you know sign up and stuff you're a citizen at at, at, the, at some point you know for a little right. while. Um, right. What were your thoughts even on that? Like, cause how do you have a how do y'all think about politics in the sense of when it's so much centered around y'all sometimes when it comes to war? Mm-hmm. Like, cause they kind of. I keep using the word today a lot, but politicized. Is that the right word, Slim? I think it's politicized. Um, the war. Right. You know, I remember being in War 3 on TV all the time, not knowing mm-hmm. what was going on, just knowing that people were dying right. every day. Right. Uh, what were your thoughts on that when you watch the news or something like that, knowing that it's going to affect you directly at some point going over there? Right. Well, first of all, I would hope that the leaders the leaders will be more cognizant of what's going to take place. Um, even if that person was a former service member themselves, right? they know what you are going to expect. They know what you're going to be up against. Someone that's never been in the military before or never had any affiliation with the people, sons, daughters in the military, they have no clue. They have no clue. Okay? So... I feel a lot better with this situation that it is now mm-hmm. that this person has had people deployed so they know we don't want to put these guys and girls in harm's way just right. because it looks good or just because it sounds good. Okay. Um, and I want to revert back to a story when I was a kid. Um, there was a guy that lived right up the street from us. And I remember his first name was Joe. And he was about 6'5", about 95 pounds. He was, if you turn sideways, you're missing. <laughs> One of the friendliest people you could ever meet. He was older than me and my older brother. He's maybe two, three, four years older than my older brother. And Joe used to be everyone's friend. And Joe got drafted to go to Vietnam. Okay. And I remember during the summer. It was about three or four months after Joe had gotten sent to Vietnam. We were out of school. And I remember hearing someone out in the yard down the street just screaming and crying. And, of course, we kids, we went to the back to see, who, who, who's that, who's that? And it was Joe's mother. She was just rolling in the dirt, just crying and screaming at the top of her lungs. And my mother and father saw it and heard it as they went out the front door and went down the street. And we were kids, and we stood in the backyard, and they finally came out of the house and got up off the ground and stuff. And we finally went out the front door, and there was a military vehicle sitting in front of the house. Mm. And that was the Holy chaplain. Flag. Right. Right. They would come to tell them that Joe had been killed in action. Okay? So I, would, I, I never will forget that. His mother was always a sweet person. She always used to give us cookies, all kinds of stuff. She was just a sweet person. And after that, she totally changed. She just folded up. Okay? Mm-hmm. She totally changed her. We didn't ever go to Joe's funeral or anything like that. I think my parents may have gone. But that changed the out- her whole outlook of everything. And I think her grandmother, her mother stayed there also with them. And it totally changed her too. Was that the only son? Like only? Person? It was the only son. Damn. It was the only son. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Did you? Because you you got kids, right? Did they ever nope, want to no, follow? No, no, no kids. Okay, okay. No kids. I I I wonder, like, so anybody you know at all, like, ever want to follow your footsteps and go into the military or no? Everybody, or what, your younger brother, what did he end up doing? No, actually, my younger brother, no, he didn't want any part of the military. Didn't want any, want any part of it. Um, how long did he play sports? He played sports for about maybe two or three years. About two or three years, he played sports. And unfortunately, I lost him when he was 26 years old. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, a lot of when you get up in the morning, sometimes you're grateful for things Mm -hmm. because you see a lot of things. Old people just tell me this. They say, you're going to go through a whole lot in this life before it's over. And I never could understand that as a kid. And now I'm understanding that now. You go through a whole lot. Just um, trying, I'm thinking numbers. Um, did his death cause you to go to the army, or you wasn't? Was you in the army when you found out that he passed? I, I was getting ready to go into the army. Okay. He passed away in 1988. Mm. He passed away, so I went in the army in 1990. Okay. So okay. the thing was, I had no other reason really to stay home anymore. He was gone. I had no other reason to stay. Mm. So why not go ahead and live your life? Yeah. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, it like, seems like you experienced a lot of death as well. well yeah. I, I see that. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, how about your older brother? What was your relationship like, I guess, once you went to the Army? Oh, oh, it's good relationship. But at one time, we were split apart. We didn't really talk that much for about maybe 10 years. And now it's good. Okay. You know, I go down to visit him in Louisiana out every year now. And, you know, we have a good relationship, good relationship. And we have more in common now because when he went off the Marine Corps at 17 years old, um, he just left gotcha. and rarely talked to us. He called us saying, how are y'all doing or something? But basically he didn't come home that much. But And I guess just, I want to, I know it's closing, but I, wanna, I, I have to ask you like, but how did that make you feel like him being your older brother? But you feel like, I'm pretty, did you feel like you had to, you had to take on more and he just didn't leave? I did. Were I you did. Like envious yeah. or kind of like jealous that he did well, that? Well, I, I was angry, really. Angry. I was angry. Um, I'm not the adult. You're the older person. But, you know, of course, he's doing his career in the Marine Corps, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But it seemed like you were stuck with the bag holding everything. Yeah, you felt like your life had to stop. Yeah. He didn't get a chance to stop. Yeah. Yeah. You had to stop and, you know, be the older brother. Exactly. Which you were, I guess, but I get you saying, like, you, mm-hmm. You're supposed to do it, not me. Right. I'm the middle child. I get to, I get to eat it. Exactly. I'm Jan. <laughs> I'm Jan and the Brady Bunch. I don't need to I got to the afro. This. I got the body. You know Absolutely. What I'm Absolutely. <laughs> oh. All in all, like, um, what would you say about, like, how would you define your um, military career? And just, did you like it? I liked would you it. Do it again? Do I, it I would. I would. I would. I don't think I'd have done it sooner because I don't think I was really prepared mentally prepared to do it at 17 or 18 years old I'd probably be getting that bad discharge I'd probably gotten that <laughs> okay so God prepares you for times when you're supposed to be at that time mm-hmm. okay and at times when I was doing stuff at 33 34 years old I said why am I going to put my body through all of this and an 18 year old's doing this okay I should be getting ready to sit up on a rocking chair somewhere, okay? <laughs> but I was not ready to do it at 18, 19, 20 years. I was not prepared for it then. 
So I, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it the same way. Would you make them give you a Mustang when you sign? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd make them put it in my contract. Well, now that you, you might, if you well, like the guy, when you first started, the guy went back, right? You can go back if you want. Oh, you no. my, my, my boot wearing days are <laughs> over. They are over. I'm, I'm done my time. And I, matter of fact, I let the younger folks have it now. And that's one thing that urged me to go ahead and retire in 2017. Um, the Army's changed a lot. Okay. They've changed. Um, cell phones, the internet, social media. Now, I have nothing against that. It's great. It's, it's Marvel inventions, okay? But when you, and it irks me when teaching a class, I used to teach classes in the military, okay? And you got an 18 or 19 year old constantly taking their phone out during the class. Okay? <laughs> and you, you joke with them and say, okay, now this is class. You can talk to your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, when we break in the next 15 minutes. Okay, Sarge. And they continue to talk on their phone, texting or whatever it is, you know. And that that was one of the drawing points for me. You have to go and take a 17 or 18, 19-year-old and take their phone from them. Um, and that's the way a lot, and I can't say all, we have some great young people in the military, but there are some that are social media junkies. They cannot do anything mm-hmm. without social media. And that, I, I guess I'm old school. I'm not used to that. When you started in the Army, right, let's say that y'all had, let's say, I don't know, y'all had beepers, I guess, back then, if that, um, what was like, what was the punishment for y'all for not following orders? Uh, I see a lot of movies, and like, they make them do push-ups, make them do they this. They still or, do it. So, you couldn't just take, take, take give me 15 push-ups since you're just doing that, That's what, and, and, and that's what they did when I was coming up, and they'd either take you outside and say, well, you know what, that private needs some remedial PT. They take you out behind the, the barracks and have you do push-ups, sit-ups, uh, dying cockroaches. They have you doing all this type of what stuff. Cockroaches? Dying cockroaches. What is that? It's laying on your back, raising your legs and arms up. Oh, nah. It's almost like crunches. I'm going to go ahead and put the phone down, Pippin. Uh, I tell you. I tell you. But see, now you can't really do that type of stuff now. The Army is getting, how can you say it? Like the NBA? Well, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, getting yeah, they're getting a softer and gentler army. Um, and I understand that, yes, but there's certain things that need to be a mainstay. You need to know your job, you need to know how to do your job, you know how to teach your. I should tell soldiers, I want you to teach you so you can take my job. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to do because one day you're going to, okay? So, you try to instill that in a lot of the younger soldiers, but then some just don't look. I'm in here just to get my Mustang. I'm in here just to get my college <laughs> some, money. Some of them got the Camaro already. They just chilling or Charger, whatever it is. <laughs> but they're not in there to do what they were paid to do. What right. you signed up to do, and that's frustrating to a lot of the older soldiers when you see that. So that kind of prompted me to say, "Look, you know what? You're about that time. You need to go ahead and take it to the corral." Well, I mean, like I said, it seems like, you know, you had a good career. Uh, and just looking at you, um, oh, yeah, one, one last thing. All right, one last thing. We, uh, I think you was here last time, Slim, talking about it. It was somebody that was in the military. No, it wasn't you. It wasn't here, Slim. Military people sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. They get out and they end up being homeless. Mm-hmm. What is it about that military lifestyle that some people, after they're done or retire or discharge, whatever, mm-hmm. can't keep up with that lifestyle or just can't? Live a comfortable Can't life. Maintain. Yeah, maintain. Right, right. I was talking to one person. They said that it's common in the military when people are done mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. to kind of be homeless at some point. Okay. Okay. Well, I think what it is is they have other problems. Some people have mental problems. Mm, okay. You know, if you go to a job, you're out of the military, and you're supposed to be working on your job at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, I never show up. Okay. And they call and say, well, where were you? I, I just, just, I just can't deal with it. I just can't deal with it. They have a lot of mental problems, mm. um, psychological problems. And like I said, a lot of people have that PTSD problem. You know, um, things tick them off easily. They get in fights on the job. Well, then a job can't put up with that. You are labeled troublemaker, so hit the bricks. You're fired. You- I, I heard that, uh, that sometimes when you're in the military... You get approved for a lot of things because you're in the military. You do. And as, once you're out, you can't maintain a lot of them things that you were approved for. Right, right. Um, and I, 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 when I thought about it, I hate to bring somebody up, but when I thought about it, I thought about you. Because mm-hmm. I look at you and you seem, you seem comfortable, you seem okay. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same place you work at, I'm going to just be honest with you, mm-hmm. you got Mr. Bryant, who's totally different from what mm-hmm. you are. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Both was in the Army. He probably was in less than you, I'm not sure, but his lifestyle is way different from yours. You know okay. what I'm saying? Okay. I don't necessarily know his story. Right, like I know yours. I know it. I managed him too. Right, um, but it's different. Right, and he has family that just he's just not here with him. Okay, so I I, I always wonder like how can it's like a tale of two, but from the same. Right. Well, the thing is, you have to in the military when you're on active duty, you don't have to think about what you need to wear tomorrow morning. Got you. Got you're wearing you. a uniform. Like you said, okay. it's um, it's pretty much routine. Routine, yeah, routine. You go to the motor pool if it's Monday morning. It's motor pool stable morning that morning. When you have a think about it, you put on your uniform, you report, you go to the motor pool and do what you need to do. Okay, it's pretty routine. Um, when you're out of the military, now you are a civilian. And I have some statistics I want to read off to you here. Oh, please do. Okay, there's about 32 million veterans in the United States right now. Yeah, about 32 32 million million veterans in the United States right now. Okay, that's approximate. About 9 million vets over the age of 65. 9 Mm. million over 65. There's about 1.6 million vets that are women. Okay, so the thing is, when you get out of the military... You are on your own. If you do not know how to reach out to the resources, the VA, Department of Veterans Affairs, is a great help. But you have to know how to ask, okay? Like a VA loan. If you do not know how to, if you buy, let's say, a $300,000 house, a lot of places will require maybe 10%, 5% down. Uh, 10% of $300,000 was Mm $30,000. 5% is $15,000. If you do not apply for your VA benefits, which is zero down, zero, you pay nothing down on that house, okay? Because it's backed by the VA government. Your government's backing your loan. Mm-hmm. They require nothing down, okay? But if you don't apply for that, the realtor will sit there and say, okay, well, I need your $30,000, <laughs> Well, sure, I have it right here in my back pocket. No problem. But if you think it's you have to know how to use the resources. If you're having mental problems, if you're having problems doing certain things, the VA is out there to be a hand and a help. So if you don't apply to them, they're not going to come to you. 
You right, have to right, go to right. them. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And I would assume, too, that, like I said, it's an army or military. Um, sometimes you're going to get people in and you're going to change them. Mm-hmm. But you might get somebody who's ready kind of like up here. And you right. just bring them there. But you got somebody that's kind of like way down here. Mm-hmm. And you might bring them up a little bit, but you only bring them up so much. They might, they might just not, some people just don't, they, everybody not the same. Isn't some it? people just don't have that. That's it. Then the military is not for everybody. Right. It's not. Some people can go into the military and they, they, they just look, just, just discharge me. I am not, this is not <laughs> cut out for me. Okay. Um, and then some people get in there and they excel. Look, right. I found my niche in life. Right. So the thing is, you know, and, and it's talking to all veterans, all those have been discharged and everything. Know your benefits. Uh, burial uh, places. You know, some people say, well, I don't have any place to bury this soldier. You've been honorably discharged. You can be buried in any state um, cemetery. You can be buried in any state cemetery. Even, let's say if you receive the, uh, just an honorable discharge. Room available, if they don't change it, you can be buried in Arlington. Mm. Up in, okay. up in uh, Washington, D.C., Okay, you can be buried in places like that, but then some people, if you don't know about that, well, we don't know where we're gonna put them. Guess we're gonna cremate them or something. <laughs> I don't know what, what voice you making right now. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, if they don't know their benefits, they'll lose them. Right. Or they right. don't even know they exist. So I encourage all veterans to get with the VA, get online, and look at all these benefits right. because there's a lot of them out there. Hey man, I, I definitely appreciate the time. Um, you got anything else you want to tell? Any, any notes you want to say? I want you to kind of well, get it out. Well, the thing is about the veteran. The veteran, and I wrote some of this down here because I think I fall into this category. Um, just even hiring a vet, hiring a veteran. A veteran has a lot of proven experience, a, a lot of proven knowledge. A lot of young veterans are put into come uh, into supervisor and leadership roles at age twenty through. 22, 23 years old, I'm a squad leader. I'm in charge of five or six soldiers. I make sure they get what they're supposed to have, be where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I'm a supervisor. That translates to being a supervisor out in the civilian world. Right, right. Okay? Some vets have been, you know, upper management, top management. I was a commander in the military. You know, I, I commanded, you know, 500 people. Okay? Wow. You commanded 500 people during a combat tour? What type of experience this guy's got? He's got lots, or she's got lots of it. Right. So the the the, the people out in the civilian world need to take that into consideration when they look at and hire vets, not taking them as a as a, a detriment, but as an asset. Right, right, right. One thing I can say, I do like that about the company we work for. They do that. I can tell. Um, mm-hmm. We got a lot of people in the, in high in good positions in military um, mm-hmm. background, so and veteran background too. So. Right. Right. And that's dope. And I, I said I. I I want to have certain clips to put out, and I think mm-hmm. that's something I could put out. I'm definitely going to put out the Joe story. I think that's amazing yeah. for um, veterans on yeah. Instagram. I don't know if you know what that is, but um, it's this little site. We, I, 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 I don't know. I, 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 I don't even I know. You're talking foreign language. Yeah. <laughs> joking, but really did. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was just so much time you know, in with a bang. But um, now this was definitely dope. I knew it would be dope. I, I, I think that the time was perfect. If he did it sooner, I don't think it would have been as great. I'm happy, you know, and this is the second podcast I did today. So I, was, I was unsure, like, I'm going to be tired, I'm going to be in a different mode, but it worked out perfect, though. It worked out perfect today. So okay. I definitely appreciate the time coming on, coming through, coming on time. Okay. Um. So, yeah, man, you know, uh, 
I would say plug your stuff, but you don't have nothing to plug. You don't do social media. I don't know what to tell oh you. Oh my goodness! goodness. He ain't even know what I, 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 I do have a I do have a Facebook page. What? Oh. What? Well, and you know why I have one? Because when my soldiers, when I had to contact my soldiers, I would take out my cell phone and call them. They say, "Oh, that's Sarge. Don't answer it." Okay, and I'd go on Facebook and check, and they'd be on Facebook. Oh, you want to know? And I, 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 I put the information. You need to be here at zero six tomorrow morning. They, they, they post a, a status, and you just like, all right, come tomorrow morning. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I catch them, and then they, they be there. And I say, yeah, I, I, and I use, I hit you up on Facebook yesterday, yeah. right? You definitely probably got blocked a few times. Didn't I, you? I, yeah, I got, I got blocked. <laughs> I can't a find lot. you no more. What's going I on? Can't block a lot. But then I have, they were friends of another person, right? And I tell them, okay, I've been blocked by John. So would you tell John <laughs> to be here at zero six tomorrow morning? <laughs> he got to go. He got to retire. Come on, Pepper, let's get up out of here. Time to get that dishonorable. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, definitely, thank you for the time. You know what I'm saying? I think it's gonna be an amazing episode, especially people that know know you right. that, that I sent out to. I think this is some great stories. Um, yeah, this is definitely dope, man. This is a dope, dope episode for the day, too. So I appreciate your time and for you coming through, man. Well, I certainly thank you for the opportunity to do it. Yeah, I know I you, probably really thought, you probably thought it was never going to happen, but I, I, I'm serious. I always, I, I just, I got a timing thing with me. I can't do it unless it's, I feel like it's right. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, but that's it. You know what I'm saying? All Thank right, you. All right, all right, all right. Shake your hand on camera. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my goodness. And I will see you tomorrow at work. <laughs> okay, all right. No problem. No problem.